at Biltmore Church. How are we feeling today? Are you hungover from the Thanksgiving turkey? I made a vow on Thursday at three o'clock, I would never eat food again as long as I live. And then at 6.30, I was eating turkey again. And God is a God of grace and forgiveness, amen? Well, in the words of Pastor Bruce Frank, all right, all right, we should get started today. My name's Clayton King, if I've never had a chance to meet you before, and Biltmore is my home away from home. I love being able to come and be a part of this family. I've been preaching here for about 15 years, and Pastor Bruce is one of my very best friends. He invited me to come and preach today from a passage in 1 Peter, uh, and I am so excited to preach on this because I am a husband and the message today is on husbands, but it's not just for husbands. So if you have a Bible and you'd like to turn to a passage of scripture, you can go ahead and turn to 1 Peter 3, 7. And let me give you the title for the message today. The title is pretty simple. You know, we're in this series, The Chronicles of Average Joe. And last week, Pastor Bruce preached on Peter's denial of Jesus and then his, re his repentance and restoration from the shame and regret of really messing up and blowing it uh, when Jesus was being put on trial and about to be crucified. Today, we're gonna fast forward to what Peter had to say later on in his life as one of the founders of the church, as the leader of the New Testament church, when he gives some specific instruction to husbands, and I know that every husband at some point has felt like an average Joe, and there's only one reason why you've ever felt like that if you're a husband, and you've ever felt like an average Joe, and that is simply this, because you are an average Joe. Your wife knows that, you know that, I know that about myself. And so today as we look at this passage, the title of the message is simply, How to Be a Better Husband. Now. When you hear the title to that message, some of you are gonna be really excited about that. The wives are really excited about this. If you're a husband, you're probably thinking, oh no, Clayton's gonna yell at me for the next 30 minutes. No, I'm not. It's gonna be 34 minutes and I'm not gonna yell. But as a husband, I want you to know, and as a pastor, I want you to know, this is not just a message for husbands. This is a message for wives. This is a message for future husbands. This is a message for future wives. And if you're single and you've never been married or, or possibly you're not married yet or you're divorced or you've lost a spouse, this is also a message for you because this is a message about the gospel and this is a message about the word of God and how the word of God can transform us. Now, cards on the table, full disclosure, I am a husband. I am a happy husband. I am the husband of one wife, and today is my wedding anniversary. So I'm preaching on being a husband today on my wedding anniversary. Can you believe that? 21 years, seven months, and eight days today. Can you believe that? Yes, and that's an anniversary. And uh, my wife is from Atlanta, Georgia. We met in 1997 at Chapel Hill. She's an Appalachian State graduate. I'm a Gardner-Webb graduate. She came to hear me preach that night. She did not give her life to Jesus because he already had her life, but she did give her heart to Clayton. What's up? And so now, 23 years later, uh, we're married. We're the, the, the proud parents of two teenage boys. 
Uh, some of your students know our boys because your students at Biltmore partner with us for summer camp at Crossroads down in Anderson, South Carolina, where I'm a pastor and where our ministry is. And my 18-year-old son's name is Jacob, and he was called to preach over a year ago. And he's been preaching. I did not push him to do this. My wife did not push him. He's been preaching off and on a good bit. He preached his first sermon to a church back in June, one of the first churches I ever preached at almost 35 years ago. The same pastor is still there in Greenville, South Carolina. Pastor, I believe, is 72 years old. And then my son asked me, he said, Daddy, um, give me some pointers. I've heard you preach my whole life, but what should I know going into it? I said, listen, you need to always preach shorter than you think you can preach. Leave them wanting more instead of wishing you had said less. He goes, okay, so give me a time. I said, you need to preach for 30 minutes and do a five-minute invitation. No matter how good you think you're preaching, most people check out at 35 minutes. He preached 34 minutes on the dot without a clock, gave the invitation, and led a 70-year-old woman to Christ. His very first sermon. So I, I love being a dad. I love being a husband. My 15-year-old son, Jojo, is playing football and basketball. He's six foot one, and he can dunk on a 10-foot goal, just like his old man. What's up? Um, so, so my wife and I have a good marriage. It's not perfect, but it's healthy, and it's strong. And one of the reasons why I am excited to preach about this is because this is one of those sermons, I'll be honest with you, I have to practice what I preach. Because when you're married to somebody, you can't hide. And if I'm not living what I'm preaching, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and the Shari Spirit will convict me because she is the fourth member of the Trinity as far as I'm concerned. So let me read this one verse to you from 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7. And I want to pull four principles out of this verse to help all of you husbands understand, you are just an average Joe, but at the same time, you are a saint. You are a son of the living God. The spirit of God lives inside of you. The word of God is yours to access. God, your father loves you. Jesus, your savior died for you. So I want you to understand that even though all of us men are just normal guys, if we have Christ in us, we can be a better husband. And women, I want you to lean in whether you're married or not. And I want you to see that the word of God speaks to how Jesus can change us at any point in life specifically today for husbands. I wanna read this verse to you and I'm gonna leave this up there for a moment because I wanna show you some words that are important and I wanna dispel a myth that trips up a lot of people when it comes uh, to marriage. Here's what 1 Peter 3, 7 says. Husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way as with a weaker partner, showing them honor as co-heirs of the grace of life so that your prayers will not be hindered. I'm gonna leave this here for a moment. And I wanna unpack a few things before I give you some principles from this scripture. Now, now, in this passage, he's already spoken to wives and he's already spoken about families, but now he gets specific to husbands. And the first thing he says is to live with your wives in an understanding way. This is important because we all know that love can get you to the altar, but it takes a whole lot more than emotion and attraction to keep you together for the decades. 
Um, I, uh, I have very few family members left on my side of the family. Many of my family members have passed away, but my, my dad's brother, uh, my uncle, Dan, is here in this room right now. He's just moved to Asheville, and, uh, and I love you, Uncle Dan, and I didn't plan to say this, but I want you to know how much you mean to me, and I love you so much, and I'm glad you're back in Asheville, and glad you're here to hear me preach today, and I'm going to start crying like a middle school girl if I don't stop right now. Okay, my Uncle Dan remembers my grandfather, Gene. My grandfather, Gene, was a World War II vet, and he was, a, he was country as cornbread, and when I asked my wife to marry me, I told my, my, uh, my grandfather, I said, Papa, that's what I called him. I said, guess what? I'm getting married. He goes, well, good. Every man needs a full-time boss. That was his attempt at humor. And uh, that's just how he was. And I was like, well, I'm so excited. He goes, well, I'm happy for you. Do you like her? I thought that was an odd question. I'm like, I love her. He goes, but do you like her? I'm like, Papa, I'm in love with her. I just paid cash for a diamond ring, one carat, princess cut, gold, uh, white gold band. I'm in there like swimwear. <laughs> he said, but do you like her? I said, well, of course I do. He goes, good, you better like her because you're gonna have to live with that woman the rest of your life, regardless of whether you feel love for her or not. And I thought that he was just being kind of an old curmudgeon, but all married people know, and if you've been around, even if you're not married and you've been around married people, you know that the honeymoon ends pretty quickly. And you realize this person's breath will stop a Mack truck on the interstate. They're not as perfect as I thought they were when I married them. They have flaws. They have habits I don't like. They say and do things that upset me, that aggravate me, that frustrate me. Wow, this person that I thought was perfect when we were dating, it turns out they were such a terrible sinner that Jesus had to die on the cross to keep them out of hell. Wow. And so I understand now some of what my grandfather was saying to me, and I understand what Peter is saying. Husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. Men. Do not make the excuse that you can't understand women and that you cannot understand your wife. Yes, you can. We'll talk about that in just a moment. And now I want to point out this phrase here, as with a weaker partner. Because some people have used this incorrectly to leverage a man controlling a wife. That is not only not what the Bible teaches, that is not only not what Peter is saying here, it's the opposite and the antithesis of what the gospel did and does for women. Of all the world religions, the reason why Christianity grew like it did in the early stages of its development, first, second, third, and fourth centuries, is because people who had no power and people who had no strength and people who had no influence were told from the scriptures and the apostles that Jesus had come to die for men and for women, for free people and slaves, for rich people and poor people, for Jews and for Gentiles. I believe when Peter says that the wife is the weaker partner, he's specifically talking about the differences biologically between males and females down to the cellular level, the muscular level, that by and large, physically, women are weaker than men. But physically, just from a, like how much you can pick up, how much you can lift, how much you could bench press or how much you could squat if you're into that kind of thing. I used to be into that kind of thing back in the 1900s. I just turned 48. The only thing I'm squatting for now is if I have to squat to get in somewhere to eat a buffet. 
That's all. Bottom line is what, Paul, what Peter is saying here is that men need to understand not only the biological differences that exist, but to understand that God made men and women very different. Now, I know that our culture loves to, at least now, try to erase those differences, but in the book of Genesis, the Bible says that, that God made them male and female. Jesus believed that because in Matthew 19, when the Pharisees tried to trip him up about divorce, Jesus quoted Genesis and said, have you not read in the beginning, God made them male and female. Paul will then go on to quote Jesus in Genesis by saying he made them male and female and the man will leave his mother and father, cling to his wife and the two will become one flesh. Then he goes on to say, showing them honor as co-heirs of the grace of life. If Peter believed that women were less than men, that wives were less than husbands, then why would he tell the men to honor their wives as co-heirs? This means equality. This means that men, and this, I cannot explain to you how revolutionary this was in the first century. For a religion to teach that men and women were equal that men and women were both valued, that men and women had intrinsic worth. And the reason why the Christian faith believes that is because God says so in Genesis that he made us in his image, both male and female. We bear the image of God. So husbands are told to honor their wives because they are co-heirs of the grace of life. Side note for you husbands like me, this means that before that woman is my wife, I wear a ring to signify my commitment to her. Before she is my wife, she is my sister in Christ. She is a co-heir with me to the grace of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when we do this, men, there is a reward. Our prayers will not be hindered. Now it's not in the Bible, but there's never been a truer phrase uttered from the mouth of a human being than this one. If mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. So what I wanna help husbands understand today from 1 Peter 3, 7, is that when you honor your wife, when you love your wife, when you care for your wife, she is blessed. The world gets to see the gospel on display in your marriage, but you as the husband also reap the benefits of a happy wife. Because if your wife is happy, your life is happy. I wanna pull a few things from the scripture that we just read, and I hope that you'll write these down. And if you are taking notes, I encourage you to make sure you don't miss these four principles. First of all, we learn from 1 Peter 3, 7, to study your wife. Husbands, study your wife. Young men that aren't married, older men that aren't married, this is an important principle because what we pay attention to in our lives are the things that we usually get better at. Study your wife. Um, I went to college at Gardner-Webb. I went to seminary at Gardner-Webb. My wife is working on her doctorate degree right now at Anderson University in theology. And so I believe in education. I believe in getting as much education as you possibly can get. But I, wanna, I want to help you understand something. I have three doctorates. 
but they are honorary doctrines. In other words, I didn't have to do research papers. And that was given these honorary doctrines, Anderson University, North Greenville University, and Emmanuel College in India. And so I have doctorate degrees, but I didn't earn them. So they're not the same. You know what I'm saying? I wanna make sure you understand that. This is what I'm trying to get at. If you're a husband, what you need is a doctorate degree in your wife. You need a PhD in your bride. You need to be, if I could say it this way, the world's leading expert on your bride. Hey, I take this personally. I would be embarrassed. I would be ashamed of myself if any other human being, not just any other man, if any other human being knew my wife better than me. Shame on me if my mother-in-law knows her daughter better than I know her daughter. Shame on me if my father-in-law knows my wife better than I know my wife. Shame on me if my brother-in-law, who we just spent three days with up in Cashers, having a good time for Thanksgiving. We went up there and hung out with him and his wife and their four kids. He knows his sister very well, but his sister's my wife. I wanna know her better than he knows her. Men, you can get a PhD in your wife. You realize that, right? Because your wife, I know this about women, because I'm married to one. Women are always giving a steady stream of information about how they're feeling, what they're thinking, how they're doing, what bothers them, what gives them life, what they like, what they don't like. And if you're a man who's paying attention, you can pick up on these cues. Like the way she walks through the house. If she tiptoes through the house, humming Christmas songs, she's in a good place. If she barrels down the hall like a Brahma bull, slamming cabinet doors and talking to herself in unknown tongues, you know she wants to kill one of your kids. Your wife is a constant stream of, of information, of showing you how she feels and, and what gives her life and, and what brings her joy and peace. And I wrote this in my notes. I wanna say this the right way. You, you as a man can get this degree in your wife. You can study her, living with her in an understanding way. If I wanna understand something, I've got to study it. If I wanna understand how Instagram works, I gotta study Instagram. If I wanna understand how to put together an appliance and install it in my house, I need to read the manual. If you wanna understand your wife, don't be stubborn. Study her. And I wrote this in my notes this way. You can pay the tuition by paying attention. That's the tuition. The tuition of understanding your wife and getting a PhD in your bride is simply paying attention to her and what she likes and what she doesn't like. What time does she like to go to bed? What time does she like to wake up? What, what does she like to eat for breakfast? Where does she like to go out to eat? Is she an extrovert or is she an introvert? I, had to st I learned this early on, just an example. Um, I am, I know you're gonna find this hard to believe, I, I am as extreme extrovert as they get. I know that's hard to believe because I come across as so shy and introverted, but um, I never get tired of people, ever. 
COVID has been so hard for me because I just dream about people all the time. And I love the people that live in my house. I mean, I love them more than I love y'all. I'm just gonna tell you straight up, I, mean, I like y'all, but I love them more. But in a different kind of way, I love you in God's way, but I love people. And so like for me, the best thing about COVID being over one day in Jesus' name in 2021, or maybe tomorrow, or maybe this afternoon, and that'd be fine, Lord, if you wanna do that. So the best thing for me is gonna be, I can have access to people and I can hug people again. And I can high five people again. I can put my arm around people again. And I can just walk up to perfect strangers and high five them again, which I've been known to do, which freaks some people out, unless you're another extrovert like me. And then you're like, my new best friend. Okay, you see what I'm talking about here? Are you following me? My wife is not as extroverted as me. She's somewhere in the middle. And so when we first got married, I had to study her. I noticed that she would get cranky and upset and she would just shut down at certain times. I quit talking, get real quiet. Well, of course, I'm a guy, so I'm a fixer. I'm like, what's wrong? What did I do? Why'd you stop talking? Are you mad at me? How have I failed you as a husband? Like, that's just where I go. She's like, I'm just tired. I'm worn out. So I had to study her and figure out there are times when I could keep going. I could hang out till all the lights are turned off. I'm the last person in the lobby. I'm shaking hands and kissing babies. And if my wife is giving me the signals that she's beginning to shut down, then I have to study that. I get that education, and I pay the tuition by simply paying attention. Husbands, let me just ask you a question before I move to the next point. Have you stopped paying attention to your wife? Do you, do you even know how? Do you know how to pay attention to your wife? It starts for us, at least in 2020, by putting our phone away. It starts by pulling in the driveway and leaving work outside maybe eating a meal together, maybe starting to cook meals in your house. You wanna really learn your wife? Cook a few meals and take that pressure off of her and sit down at the table and just study what makes her feel loved, what makes her feel valued. If you wanna understand your wife and live with her in an understanding way, you have to study your wife. I had one guy tell me this one time, he said the reason why most men, this guy's a, a marriage, he's literally a marriage counselor. He said, the reason why so many husbands don't study their wife is because they don't, they don't like what they think they will see because it will reflect poorly on them. Men, let me let you off the hook. Nobody's reflecting poorly on you today. I'm telling you, you can study her. She wants to be known. Your wife wants to be understood. And I know that you want to understand her. So don't be stubborn. Study your wife. Some of you women ought to be elbowing your husband's ribs right through the other side of his spine right now. You ought to be telling your, your husband, listen to Clayton. He's a good preacher. Okay. Number two, if you study your wife, then you can apply the word. Because it's not enough to simply study your wife. You need to actually have a power greater than you that helps you love her and live with her in an understanding way. And that's what we do with the scriptures. Now, I don't mean just look for verses that tell you how to be a better husband. There aren't that many of them. There are a handful like the one we're looking at today but moreover, it's important that we read the word every day because the word helps us apply wisdom. The word washes us. The word changes us. The word transforms us. The scriptures help us. Guys, one of the things I've learned in my life is that time in the word begins as a discipline, but it quickly becomes a delight. It starts as a discipline, but it becomes a delight.
And I am in no way, shape, or form a perfect person. I struggle with my temper. I struggle with insecurity. I have so much sin I could confess to you, but I don't have to right now. I want to just let you know, I'm not a perfect person, but there is one thing I have disciplined myself to do, and I delight in it. My favorite time of day is an hour before daylight. I love getting up before anybody else is up in my house. My dad taught me to do this. And I get up in the morning, and I do miss a few days here and there, but I'm telling you, by and large, I get up in the morning and I'm in the Bible. I'm reading the Word. I make a cup of black coffee. I go into my study at my house, and I read the Bible. And I used to think I was simply reading the Bible, and one day it dawned on me, the Bible's reading me. God's convicting me of my sin when I read the scripture. He's showing me the areas of my life where I need some surgery performed. He's giving me access to the wisdom of God. I'm reading like I'm reading in Psalms and it says, I've hidden your word in my heart so that I might not sin against you. And then it dawned on me the moments in my life when I'm impatient with Shari, when I'm short with Shari, when my words are not reflecting Christ with Shari, the moments where I'm getting frustrated with her and I'm not loving her the way I should, it's because I'm not in the word. And when I'm in the word of God, sin doesn't have access to me in the same way that sin does have access when I'm too busy to get in the Bible. Men, I'm encouraging you today, apply the word. Study your wife, but don't stop there. Apply the word and you'll be able to honor her and live with her in an understanding way. I like to say it this way. A lot of men, and I know I'm wired this way as a husband, we think, well, if a problem, you know, arises, I'll fix it. If there's something wrong, I'll just buck up, man. I'll, I'll suck it up. I'll toughen it up. I'll figure it out. That's kind of how a lot of guys are. Not all guys, but some of us are just kind of wired that way. And it's almost like we think, I'll just rise to the occasion. In marriage, listen, men, I'm telling you, husbands, I love you, so I'm going to talk to you like a grown man. You okay with that? I'm not going to baby you. Our culture babies everybody. Men, I'm gonna talk to you like a man right now. If you're married, you need to understand, you do not rise to the occasion. We think to our preparation. Our pro the problem a lot of us have in our mindset is, if something goes wrong, I'll, I'll rise to the occasion and fix it. But that's not how human beings work. We sink to the level of our preparation. That's why it's so important to be in the word every day, to be praying every day to be having conversations every day with God so we can learn how to properly love and care for and value and esteem and honor our wives. And then on the tail end of, of number two, let me show you another principle from this passage. We need to examine our words. Husbands, examine your words. Okay, so you study your wife, you apply the word, then examine your words. I mean, your literal words. I'm talking about the actual words that come out of our mouths. When, when Peter says that we honor our wives as co-heirs with Christ, the greatest way we can honor our wives is with how we verbally affirm love and cherish them. So, I have to confess to you, I was terrible at this when we got married. I make a living with my words. I preach and I write. 
And I'm an author and a preacher. And so I use words to provide for my family. And what was so ironic is I was really good with words on the stage, at least so I thought, until I asked my wife how she was feeling about a year or two into our marriage. And when I asked my wife, how are you feeling loved by me? How am I doing? On a scale of one to 10, give me a grade. And what she told me in a moment of real honesty was, that my words with her did not always make her feel affirmed. So here's an example. She would begin to tell me how she was feeling. Now to a lot of men, a woman's emotions are a deep mystery. We don't know why they feel the way they feel. Women, I'm just gonna tell you, we're not necessarily wired the same way that you are. Our DNA is different. We've got different chromosomes. We've got different brain structure. And even when you're born, like the color of the brain in a male and a female is different down to a cellular level. So as we grow up, men don't always understand the emotions of a woman. I feel like women sometimes need to hear a man say that. So you'll be a little more patient with us while we're trying to understand. But what we do, and this is where we derail it, men, is our wife tries to tell us what they're feeling and it doesn't make sense and we don't think she should feel that way so we tell her why she shouldn't feel that way or we do what I do naturally which is let me fix that for you oh your boss at, at work is being unreasonable well what you need to do is oh you're, you're feeling some some anxiety about Christmas this year because you don't know who we should go see first well what you need to do is Fill in the blank. Oh, you're, you're, you're really worried about the finances around the house right now because it's been a tough year. Well, what you need to do is quit worrying and just pray more. Yeah, that goes over really, really well. Just try that sometime, brothers. You'll only try it once. And what I had to do is I had to begin to examine my words. And the best way for me to examine my words as a husband was to ask my wife how my words made her feel. You know something I've uh, observed in my own marriage and the marriages of other people, especially after they've been married for some time, is that if you've been together for a while, sarcasm can begin to creep in. And things that you used to, to pick at each other about early on now aren't funny anymore. And you live with somebody for a long time and you pick up on their habits and their idiosyncrasies and the, and the little parts of their personality. And that might be cute, but if it gets on your nerves, sometimes we, we veil and we, and we hide what we really want to say with cynicism and sarcasm. And men, I'm going to say it right now. Some of us need to examine the way we talk to our wives. I've made a commitment. I will compliment my wife every day. I will compliment my wife's appearance. I will compliment my wife's intellect. I will encourage my wife verbally every single day. And if I think something good about my wife, she's not blessed by what I think. She's only blessed by what I say. Husbands, you can think a thousand good thoughts about your wife and she never gets the benefit of any of those good thoughts until you tell her what you're thinking. And don't you even dare try to throw up in my face, well, I'm just not good verbally. You're a man, figure it out, talk, talk. Don't be that stoic, typical American man that, that never shares your feelings and never shares, well, that's the way my dad raised me. Yeah, you know what? All of us got a dad or maybe you never knew your dad. When will we as men decide we will do it differently? You can, husband. You can examine the way you talk to your wife and you can change it. You can speak words of encouragement to her. You can tell her how much you love her. You can tell her how much you value her. And when you're around your buddies at work or you're out shooting a gun on a gun range or you're 
playing golf on the, at the golf course or at the country club. You know what you can do? You can brag about your wife behind her back. Use your words to tell your friends. When all the guys are together and they're kind of making fun of women and doing what some groups of guys will do occasionally, you know what you can do? You can change the atmosphere. You can show all of your buddies at work, all of your buddies at the gym, all of your buddies at the golf course, all of your buddies on the hunting trip, how much you love and cherish your wife. And when you examine your words and you speak good words about her to her face and behind her back, you know what you're doing? You are testifying to your brothers, your buddies, your friends that the gospel of Jesus Christ changes men that men value women, that men of God value their wives, that men of God honor their spouse. And that's the greatest way you can show people that Jesus is real. Examine your words. Hey, just as an aside, this works this way. Examine what you say, examine how you say it, and examine when you say it. Examine what you say, examine how you say it, the tone of your voice, and examine when you say it. When I was preaching, um, I was 14, 15 years old, early in my ministry, my dad sat me down one day after I had preached at a, at a little church um, where I grew up in Simpsonville area. And he said, son, that was a really good sermon, but, but you said something that I think people could have misunderstood. I don't even remember what I said, but when he when my dad showed me how my words affected people and could have been misunderstood, I got very defensive. I was a teenager. I said, well, that's not what I meant to say. And that's their fault if they take it that way. My dad said, son, I want to stop you right there. Your job as a preacher is simply this. Remember, it's not what you say that matters. It's not what you mean to say that matters. It's what they hear you say that matters. 34 years later, I'm still living by that principle. Husbands, it's not what you say that matters. It's not what you mean to say that matters. It's what she hears you say that matters. And if you love her like Christ loved the church with the love of God in you, then your heart and my heart will not be to defend ourselves, but it will be to understand her so that our words can lift her up and give her life. One more principle from this passage of scripture. After you've examined your words, adjust your ways. Adjust your ways. Change. You can, you can change. God has given you the ability to change. As a matter of fact, the way that you really know you're a Christian is that you're still changing at this point in your life. I'm an evangelist by calling and you know, I, I, I preach and give invitations for people to be, to be saved. I do that all the time. But what I also say is the best way to know you're really a Christian is not to just ask what happened back then when you got saved. It's to look at your life and ask what's happening right now. That's the best proof that you're a Christian is that Jesus is still changing you. The gospel is still convicting you and transforming you. Husbands, in the same way, you get to continue to change, to be a better husband, more kind, more patient, more understanding, so that your prayers will not be hindered. And I guess uh, for me, one of, the, one of the changes in perspective that helped me was to think of this as an adventure. I've heard Pastor Bruce say it before from this stage. He said one time, Lori has been married to three different men, all named Bruce Frank since they got married. You know why? Because all of us continually change at stages of life. K 
kids and jobs and career, chemical makeup, health problems, challenges to our, to our physical bodies. We're constantly changing as we grow older. What a great adventure for me as a husband to examine my words and then to adjust my ways so that my wife can thrive and my wife can be blessed. And Peter wants us to understand, men, that we can stop being stubborn and we can start to change. When my wife and I got married, there were expectations that we both brought into the marriage. And I remember at my house growing up, uh, my mom's name was Jane, my dad's name was Joe. And my dad and mom both worked, but my dad had a, had a farm and a motor shop. My dad would come home from work very tired, dirty, and my mom would, have, literally, I'm not kidding, he would pull in the truck, uh, pull in the driveway in his truck, and as he was getting out of the truck, she would be putting supper on the table. Very traditional way of, of doing a marriage, and they, they both loved it. But I can also remember that my first time I took my wife home, we were just dating at the time, and my dad got up from the uh, supper table, didn't take a single dish to the to the. Uh, sink. He just got up, took his tea glass with him, sat down in the den to watch the people's court. That was his post-supper uh, routine every single day. And so Shari helps my mom clean up. I tried to help and my mom said, no, no, go in there and sit with your daddy and talk to him. So I'm sitting in the, kid, in, in the den with my dad and Shari uh, comes in to sit with us and my dad's tea glass was, was empty and there's ice in the bottom. And daddy shook the glass and the ice in the bottom of the glass was like the bells for Pavlov's dogs. And as he shook the glass of ice, my mom came running from the kitchen with a pitcher of sweet tea, filled up his pitcher and said, do you need anything else? He said, no, mama, that's good. Thank you. I love you. And my, my wife leaned over sitting on the couch. She goes, uh, that ain't happening ever with me. Know that before you put a ring on it, that ain't happening. <laughs> you know, one of the things I learned early in marriage was I needed to adjust my ways. I needed to be more present at the dinner table. I needed to help out with chores around the house. I needed to wash the dishes and do some laundry and help do some things so that we were more of a team instead of two individuals just kind of doing things on our own. You can adjust your ways, husbands, and when you adjust your ways, your wife is given life and you get the benefit of a woman who sees you love her in the same way that Jesus loved the church. She'll feel honored as a co-heir of the grace of God in your life and your prayers will not be hindered. So don't see this as much, as a, as much of a command. See this more as a promise that not only will God give us as husbands the grace to love our wives well, but that when we love our wives biblically, we are given a promise that God will hear our prayers and we'll get the benefit of a godly marriage. That is a testimony to the gospel to the world around us. I wanna do this before I close. I wanna pray for you and with you. So would you just do this? Would you close your eyes and open up your hearts right now? And I know that we're in a, a season where a virus has got us all distanced from each other except for your spouse. So if your spouse is sitting beside you right now, I'm gonna ask you if you'd do something. Eyes closed, hearts open. Would you just reach over 
and take your spouse by the hand. Many of us don't have a spouse with us today. That's okay. But if your spouse is sitting with you, would you reach over and take them by the hand? For some of you, this is common and usual. For some of you, you haven't held hands in a long, long time. I want you to embrace that. And as awkward as it might feel or as awkward as it might be, embrace the awkwardness. You need to touch each other in prayer with your hands holding each other's. And while the two of you are holding hands right now, I wanna pray for your marriages. And then I'm gonna pray one more prayer. God, I wanna pray for the husbands and the wives at Biltmore Church. The ones who are just getting started, the ones who have a minivan full of Cheetos and goldfish and crusty McDonald French fries stuck in the carpet the ones who have teenagers at home, the empty nesters, the ones who are loving their grandkids. I pray God for those marriages, that they would be a symbol and a sign of the gospel, that they would be filled with joy and husbands who know how to live with their wives in an understanding way. And God, I pray for the future marriages that will come out of Biltmore, for the young men and women, even for the older men and women, who will one day have a mate and they get to learn the beauty of becoming one flesh with another person. And Lord, I thank you for the single people in our church here at Biltmore and for the very special gift you've given where single people can be focused on Jesus and a part of this big family. And now with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I do wanna ask one final question before we, we dismiss. If you have been convicted during my message today, if you felt something stir in you and you realize you need the gospel, you need Jesus, you wanna be saved, you wanna give your life to Christ, you, you wanna belong to a family where not only married people but, but single people and unmarried people all can find a seat at the table in the family called the church. If you are ready right now to fully surrender your life to Jesus Christ, I'm gonna invite you to pray right where you are right now and just open up your heart to his grace and ask him to save you. So with your heart open to Jesus, your eyes closed, your heart open, if you wanna be saved and nail down your salvation, pray this to Jesus right now in your heart. Jesus, I need you. I invite you into my life. Would you rescue me from my sin and save me right now. I believe you're alive. I believe you love me. I receive your grace. Here's my life, Jesus. Take control as Lord and Savior. With your eyes closed and your hearts open before anything else happens, I'm not gonna ask you to stand up. I'm not gonna invite you to come forward. I just wanna know in this room right here at this campus, if you just prayed that prayer to Jesus, no matter what your age is, young or old, it doesn't matter. I just wanna ask one simple question and then, and, then I, and then I'll move on. If you just prayed that prayer to receive Christ, would you just raise your hand? straight up above your head right now. Can you raise it up and keep it up for just a moment? I'm not gonna make you do anything, but I just wanna see so I can rejoice. Would you just raise your hand straight up right where you are right now? I'm counting. All right, you can put your hands down. Hey, open your eyes and look at me before we're done. 
will celebrate that four people in this room just raised their hands and said they gave their lives to Christ. What a blessing. If you just gave your life to Jesus, before you leave today, would you just text the word follow to 28282? That way we can help you begin your walk with Jesus. We can help you uh, get signed up for baptism, help you get plugged in here at Biltmore. And if you need help in your marriage, you can also use that number, 28282. And that'll be a great way for you to get connected and to be a better husband and to have a better marriage. Hey, I'm gonna pray one more time and thank God for what he did today. And then we got a few final announcements before we go. Jesus, thank you for how you've spoken to us today. Father, thank you for the love you've poured out. Holy Spirit, thank you for drawing four people, maybe more, to the gospel today for salvation. And Lord, help us to be better husbands so that we can have better families, so that we can be a better representative of the gospel to the world around us. In Jesus' name, amen.